Hey, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. And man, I'm so grateful that you are here. Our hope is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. If you've been coming over the last few weeks, you're like, man, who is this guy? I've been on a, at a sabbatical uh, to where I'm uh, just resting and spending time with my family and reading and all that. And it's been incredible. Uh, but I thought, man, I would share the message for this weekend as we're all online and uh, celebrating Fourth of July. In fact, we encourage you guys to uh, serve your neighbors in some different ways and serve the town in different ways. And so my family and I, even as we're on sabbatical, uh, we're in our old neighborhood uh, where we used to live in South Carolina right now now and uh, we are uh, walking around picking up trash today praying for people old neighbors and whatnot and so uh, I hope that you've already chosen to do something if not that you'll choose to do something to serve the people uh, that God has placed around you today man I'm super excited about uh, continuing the series on Colossians that we've been looking at Colossians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And uh, what's been really cool is that there's a lot of churches right now walking through this book together. As I've been uh, kind of looking at some of my buddies and what other people are doing, I'm like, man, everybody seems to be studying Colossians right now. And uh, it's one of the most powerful books in scripture. Uh, and I get to take some of the most powerful passages in this book and be able to communicate those today. So we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. If you have a Bible, uh, go to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, download the Bible app and uh, you can get it right there. It's a great way to follow along with us. Uh, but we're just going to jump straight in as Paul, who wrote this book, is uh, really dealing with suffering. He's dealing with the hope that God offers us, a hope that you and I can have in our lives, no matter what we're going through. And so Colossians chapter one, we're picking up where we left off last week, verse 24, here we go. It says this, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I'll stop right there for a moment. He says, Paul says he rejoices for the fact that he is suffering for you and I. Now that seems kind of ridiculous. I mean, what in the world would, would, would possess Paul to rejoice in suffering. I mean, when was the last time you were suffering in something in life and you thought, man, I'm just gonna rejoice right now. So what is Paul going through? Like for Paul to be able to rejoice in his suffering, he must be okay with why he is suffering. He must be okay with the why. I mean, what is causing him to suffer? What is he doing in his life? Or what has he done that is causing him to suffer that then is causing him to rejoice because of that suffering? I mean, what would cause you to rejoice in your suffering? Like, what would you have to go through in your suffering to be like, man, this is good? And most of you know that I'm a huge Georgia fan. I mean, I got some of my gear right here, a hat and my Georgia shoes right here. You got Georgia on the side and I got other shoes that have a little bone on there for the, for the, the Bulldogs. And so you know that I'm a Georgia fan. And most people would say that we Georgia fans, that we have been suffering for quite a while. In fact, 40 years uh, 41 years to be exact since our last championship. And so we have suffered, but I, although I'm a diehard Georgia fan, I would never suffer for the team. Like I would never choose to suffer every year. I think that this is the year this, we're going to have it this year. It's going to be the year. And every year I'm pretty disappointed, but I would never choose to go through suffering. Like if somebody, I'm going to put this away. If somebody were to ask me, Hey, Pastor Ernest, what would you die for? I think most of us would say, man, I would die for my family. Maybe you'd say, I'd die for some of my friends. But what would you suffer for? 
I mean, what would you suffer? Like, I, I, to me, in many ways, suffering is worse than dying. I mean, experiencing an ongoing struggle, ongoing pain is worse than dying. So what would you suffer for? What is Paul suffering that is causing him to rejoice? Well, let's continue with a passage. Verse 24, he finishes that verse off. He says, I and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Verse 27, it's one of the most powerful passages in scripture. To them, God has chosen to make known the, uh, the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To them, he says, who's to them? To them is the church. It's the body of Christ. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So God has used the church to, to speak life and, and to bring into the family the, the Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish people. You and I, most of us, would consider ourselves as Gentiles, and God has used the body to be able to bring these people in so that they can also experience this great mystery that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Paul continues, verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now, some of you are thinking, man, I'm Ernest, I'm not kind of following along. What a what is Paul suffering for? Paul says here in this passage, it's that he has Christ's afflictions. In regard to Christ's afflictions, for, for the sake of the body, which is the church. And then we proclaim Christ. Why? So that people, so that, that followers of Jesus, so that the church, we can present everyone fully mature. To this end, he strives after. He's going after this beautiful organization, this, this beautiful body called the church. Paul's willing to suffer for the church. And he's not just willing to suffer for the church, but he rejoices in the fact that he gets to suffer for the church. Now, some of you may be thinking, man, Ernest, that sounds crazy. Like I would never suffer for the church. I mean, I, I, hear, I hear people say all the time, especially over the last year and, and COVID and all the, all the upheaval and different things that, man, church is messy and uh, people are leaving the church. You know, people are like, man, I don't think I need the church anymore. Or man, the church, if they're going to promote this person or this politician or this thing, then I don't want to be a part of it. And so many people are knocking the church or are talking negatively about the church. And yet Paul says it's the church. It's because of the church that I'm suffering, and yet I rejoice. And when we bash the church, what we're actually bashing is Jesus' bride. Jesus says in Scripture that the church is the bride of Him, that it's His bride. Now imagine, imagine going to a wedding, and 
you're sitting there and you're kind of looking at everything. The bride and groom are up there and you're, you're, you look over the groom, you're like, man, that's a good looking dude. Uh, you, maybe, maybe most of us wouldn't say that, but whatever. And, you know, he's kind and he's compassionate and he's all these, like he's pretty much perfect. I mean, no one said that at my funeral. I mean, my, my, my wedding for sure. Sorry, did not mean to say a wedding is a funeral. No one said that at my wedding about me. But imagine people saying that, like, wow, that groom is amazing. But then they look over the bride and they're like, ah, but she's not that good. Like, she's not that pretty. She probably should have done something else with her hair. She needs to lose weight or she needs to gain weight. Or, man, she's not very kind. And what if the people at the wedding bashed the bride? I mean, you and I would never do that. And yet this is what we do to Christ, to his bride, when we talk negatively about the church. And I get it. I mean, churches are messy. Why? Because churches are made up of people, and people are what? Messy. And because people are messy and churches are made up of people, then churches are messy. Every church, every church is messy. It has things that we may go, man, I don't really like this. I don't really like that. Like when I meet people and, I, and they say, well, we've been looking for a church. I'm like, well, what are you looking for? And it's basically this small little thing like doesn't exist. Like this, this body doesn't actually exist. Like this bride doesn't exist. And so when we have that mentality, what we're saying is that Christ's bride is not that beautiful but it's still the bride of Christ. And in Christ's eyes, it is glorious. And in Paul's eyes here, he says, man, I'll suffer. I'll rejoice in my suffering for the church. And there's so many reasons for that. Let me just kind of give you two truths about the church and, and why uh, Paul would say I'll suffer for it. Maybe why Christ would say this is, this is my bride. Truth number one about the church is church is not a building we go to or a service we attend but a family to which we belong. I mean, that's the reality about the church is that we're called to be family. You know, and I, I, let's just admit right now, I mean, how many of us would say that, man, our family is a little crazy, right? Like every person would say that they have a, a crazy relative in their family, right? Think about who that person is right now. Some of you are looking around your living rooms, you're like, well, it's you over there. If you're thinking, man, I don't really have that person in my family. Like, I, we don't have a crazy person. Then it's you. <laughs> uh, I, I was actually writing this message. I was writing this part. And Wyatt was like, wait, Dad, am I the crazy one? And I was like, no, Wyatt, you're not the crazy one in our family. Uh, those are others. Um, and so uh, every family has crazy in it. But the reality is we're still family. Have you ever seen the, the show Chopped? Uh, the show Chopped, uh, uh, they bring in these chefs and uh, they give them certain ingredients. They don't get to choose the ingredients. They, they get basically a box and they say, okay, we're going to give you four ingredients and you have to cook a, an appetizer or a dessert or an entree, something like that. And uh, it, it, it could be, cra- usually it's crazy stuff. It's like, you know, maybe they give them a bag of, of ginseng, you know, and I don't even, I have no clue what you would do with this. It looks like a big root to me and they'll give them that and then they'll give them, uh, chicken feet. Uh, I, I have no clue what you would do with chicken feet. I am not a chef, but it would give them something like this. And then they'd give them uh, uh, this vegetable thing. 
Uh, I'm not even sure where you find this. I did not grow this. That is for sure. I have no clue what it's used for. But they, they would give them that, and then they'd give them, you know, Rocky Mountain oysters. Anybody like some Rocky Mountain oysters? Not me. But they would give them these, these four really strange ingredients. And the whole job is, their job is to um, cook something that is amazing, that tastes good, that you would find at a a fancy restaurant or maybe your favorite restaurant and that you would go, man, I would order that even with all of those weird ingredients. Well, I think that the body of Christ is a lot like that, that, that we have our own uniquenesses. Like we may even look at other people and go, man, I'm glad I'm not that. I'm glad I'm not the chicken feet. You know, I'm glad I'm not the Rocky Mountain oysters, but we're all different. And when you bring us together, it can create something beautiful. In fact, scripture in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the, the, uh, the, the bride of Christ, the church, you and I being like the body. And it says, you know, some people are the hand, and some people are the eye, and some people are, and it lists different parts. I, I don't want to be the tailbone, but I'm just grateful that, that all of those parts come together, and it creates this beautiful picture of God's mercy and grace to the world. Yes, family can, can be a little crazy, and you're not going to agree with every family member. There's going to be family members that you disagree politically on and you disagree on sports teams or you disagree on whatever the issues are in our culture. And yet we're still family. And the church is supposed to be that way. We are a family to one another. It is not a building we come to. It's not a service that we attend. The church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ is a family. That's the first truth. The second truth about the church is that, uh, and this is really difficult, this is really challenging because this truth really impacts how you and I relate to one another. It's this, the Christian community isn't built on uniformity, it's built on unity in Jesus. The Christian community isn't built on uniformity, it's built on unity in Jesus. This is why the church is so challenging for so many of us, because, because our relationship, our, our, the community that we build with one another is not built on uniformity. You know, most things in, in our society, in most areas of our life, we build our community on uniformity, on, on people that do the same things as us or like the same things as us. And so we build it around sports teams or we build it around sports or you go, well, my kids go to this school. All of our kids go to this school. And so we build relationships with those people or, you know, my, my kids play baseball. And so you have a bunch of uh, friends that they're also parents of kids who play baseball, whatever it may be, we build most of our community in our culture around uniformity. But the church is not built on uniformity. Christian community is not built on uniformity. We're built on unity and Jesus, which means we're going to like different things. We're going to believe different things. We're going to vote different ways. We're going to see differently the the certain things that are going on. We're going to have different perspective about it. And all of that And yet somehow we have to come together to bring unity. This past year, this is, we've seen this so much and not only in Front Range, but in churches all throughout Castle Rock and churches really all throughout the nation and all over the world. As I've talked to different pastors, we've all experienced the same thing. 
where this body of Christ, where we're supposed to be built on unity in Jesus, uh, in many ways we're beginning to separate ourselves from one another because we don't have uniformity. Because we don't all believe the same thing. We don't all do the same thing. I mean, we have people in our church that, that voted this way and people in our church that voted this way. We have people in our church that believe this thing about some of the things that are going on and, and people that believe this way about things that are going on. I have people ask me all the time, Ernest, how do you minister to and, and, and befriend people on both sides? And it's because I'm not basing my community on uniformity. I'm basing it on unity in Jesus. In fact, what I try to do is I I try to look at pretty much every issue that we have uh, with uh, kind of a a bullseye. And so I drew a little bullseye here, and I'm just going to walk through kind of how I uh, personally view people and some of the things that we, we go through. So the bullseye right in here, I would write the word essentials. And then right out here, the, the, the second layer, I would write convictions. And then out here, I would write the word preferences. And so for me, what's the goal? The goal is always the bullseye, right? And this is the essentials. So when I look at community around me, I go, do the community around me, do we believe the same thing in the essentials? Now, here's the deal about essentials. Usually essentials are far less as far as numbers as far as the amount of essentials, they're far less than convictions and preferences. There's only a very few number of essentials. If you want to know what those essentials are for us as a church, all you have to go do is go to our website. You can go to where our beliefs and values page, and you can find our essentials on there. I mean, it's, it's, there's sin and humanity that God is one and three, right? The, that there's this trinity that Christ died for our sins. That it's only through Christ that you and I find salvation. That the essentials are the things that, that really help us to, to understand who God is and whether or not you and I have salvation. Like it's the most important things to our faith. These are the essentials. So as long as the people that are in my community have the same, and I'm not talking about people I'm reaching out to, I'm not talking about people that I'm trying to minister to and care for and bring to, into the family of God. I'm talking about as long as the family of God, the church, believes these essentials, then I'm good. But then you have convictions. And convictions, you know, they, these really range in a lot of ways. I mean, convictions can be, uh, are you allowed to dance or not dance? Should... People, you know, be able to, to, uh, to, you know, should women have long hair or short hair? Like those are some of the things in the Bible that, that people were wrestling through. In, in today's age, it might be, should women be able to preach or not preach? And here's the reality, and there, there's so many more. I can go into a lot more, but let me walk through this. With essentials, people die for the essentials. With convictions, people are divided by the convictions. And sometimes the convictions are ridiculous. I mean, there literally are denominations within the church, not within our local, but like in the big C church, there are denominations that have broken apart from one another based on whether or not they believe people are allowed to dance. So like, hey, we don't believe people should dance. So we're creating our own separate denomination and group of churches for people who don't want to dance, right? So some things like that is kind of ridiculous. Then there's other convictions that people have that, are good, and they divided uh, denomination in a good way. I mean, the, the, the reason why there's Northern Baptists and Southern Baptists is because a long time ago, 
the Southern Baptists were okay with slavery. And the Northern Baptists said, we're not okay with slavery. And it divided them. So that's a good reason to divide a major issue like that. But the challenge is in today's world, we're being divided over things that are convictions, we're calling convictions, but really they're preferences. You know, this outer ring. There are things that we would say, man, I, I can't really find that in Scripture, but it's something that I want or something that I care about. And so what we've done, especially over the last year, is we've pushed preferences further into the middle. And we've called them convictions or we've called them essential. And we've divided over them. People have left the church over them. I mean, one of the ones I can think of off the top of my head is masks. You know, and we've had people leave our church because we simply asked. We didn't police or anything. We asked, hey, would you, would you care enough about your neighbor to wear a mask to your seat type of thing? And people left our church because of that. But wearing a mask or not is really a preference. But we've pushed it to a conviction or to an essential. Like people are like, I'm willing to die to wear a mask or not wear a mask. And I'm like, yo, it's not an essential. I'm talking about health here. I'm talking about beliefs. And we've pushed so many preferences inward. And the church is beginning to divide because of it. And yet Paul writes in Colossians that he rejoices at the fact that he gets to suffer for the church. I'm not asking you today, are you willing to suffer for the church? But what I am asking you today is are you willing to walk across the aisle to sit down with somebody who might have different preferences, maybe even different convictions than you, and have a conversation? I'm not asking you to be a part of a church that's terrible that, and, and really rubs against the essential things. No, but if we believe in the same thing essentially, like if we have the same essentials about Christ and about God and about humanity, those types of things, like if we have the same essentials, and what I'm asking you to do is to look at our church, look at the people in our church as a family and not try to build Christian community based on uniformity, but based on unity in Christ. And when our Christian community, when our church is, is seen as a family, when we see it as a place that we can have not uniformity in everything, but unity in Jesus, then you and I begin to say, okay, these are the things we'll die for these essentials, these convictions. We're going to have certain convictions in our lives. We need certain convictions in our lives, but we're going to make sure they're biblical. And if there's something I see that I think is not biblical, I'll have a conversation with somebody. And these preferences, we're going to hold with an open hand because the preferences might be this tomorrow and tomorrow they might be this. So we're going to hold it with an open hand. So the church is the body of Christ, it is the bride of Christ. And I know it's messy and it's challenging and all of that, but it is also beautiful. And it is God's way of reaching and redeeming the world. The local church is the hope of the world because the local church, you and I, and even what Paul says in this passage, is that we're the ones that bring this great mystery that Christ is in us. The hope of glory is in us. We were to bring that to the rest of the world. When we see the church as a family, when we see it as Christian community, not based on uniformity, but based on unity, you and I will live in such a way 
that we're willing to not push preferences and convictions in, but live based on the essentials and have conversations about the others. And when we do that, we truly build community. We truly build this family. And when we have this family and it's healthy, and God can use it to radically transform the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much for the church. God, I thank you for Paul's writing here where he talks about, God, how he rejoices in the fact that he gets to suffer for the church so that all of us will grow in, in maturity, so that we'll understand this great mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he rejoices in the fact that he gets to suffer for the church. God, I pray that you would show us where we are in our understanding and our relationship with the church. God, for some of us, maybe we have pulled back. Maybe we've distanced ourselves because we've seen certain people that are in the church, whether it's in Front Range or another church locally, and we thought, man, they what they're doing, we've judged them for what they've done, or we think what they've done is, is unbiblical or ungodly, and we haven't been able to, to give grace. I pray that today, Father, you would help us to give grace. God, for some of us, we pull back, and maybe it's because of our own sin, maybe it's because of our own pain that we've been walking through, and, and yet, God, you're telling us today, come home. Come home. And if that's you, if you'd say, you know what, Ernest, I have, I've, I've walked away. I've kind of uh, laid down my faith for a season. But today I want to come home. And I just want you to text the word follow to the number on the screen. We want to celebrate with you. We'll send you uh, some resources to help you in your faith journey. I want you to know you're not alone. We're going to walk with you in this. And then for all of us, Father, I pray you would help us to examine the things in our lives, Father, what are the essentials when it comes to our faith? What are the convictions and what are the preferences? Father, I pray that we would hold tight to the essentials, that God, we would be founded on the essentials. God, I pray that we would understand what those convictions are, Father, and when we see somebody that maybe isn't living out the same conviction as us, Father, that we wouldn't abandon them or abandon the church, but we would have a conversation. And that God, for those preferences, maybe we hold them with an open hand. May, they, may we not push those things inward to become convictions or to become essential. But Father, may we hold them with an open hand, trusting you. God, you're in charge. God, you see your church. And there's so many things that I believe, Father, break your heart about different churches, about even how we may live as the body of Christ at different times. There's so many things that break your heart, and yet when you look at the church, you see your beautiful bride. Father, may we present to you a beautiful bride in how we live, how we think, how we engage with one another. Father, we thank you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.